or your father, or maybe your teacher. But there's one particular way that the Bible talks about this relationship that you find all over. But strangely, we don't talk about it that much. And that's the idea of a partnership with God. A partnership like working alongside someone to accomplish a goal together. Right. And this is actually what you see at the beginning of the Bible. God creates this good world full of all of this potential. And then God appoints these unique creatures, humans, as his partners in bringing more and more goodness out of all that potential. But the humans don't want to partner with God. They rebel and try to create a world on their own terms. And so this broken partnership is the Bible's explanation for why we're stuck in a world of corruption and injustice and the tragedy of death. It's not like there's just one or two humans who have bailed on this relationship. In the story of the Bible, everyone has abandoned the partnership with God. So what God does is select a smaller group of people out of the many. And he makes a new partnership with them called a covenant. And in a covenant, God makes promises, and then in exchange asks his partner to fulfill certain commitments. And the purpose of all of this is to somehow use this covenant relationship to renew his partnership with everybody else. Now, there are actually four times in the Old Testament that we're told God initiates a covenant relationship with Noah, Abraham, the nation of Israel, and King David. And it's through these that God is forming a covenant family into which all people will eventually be invited. So let's see how these work. The first one is with Noah. So in this story, God has just brought the flood to cleanse the world of humanity's corruption. And Noah and his family are the only ones left. And so God makes a covenant with Noah saying, listen, I know that humans will continue to be evil, but despite that, I'm not going to destroy it like this again. Instead, the earth will be this reliable place for us to work together. Great. So what does Noah have to do? Nothing. And that's what's so interesting about this first covenant is that God is promising to be faithful, even though he knows humans won't be. The next time we see God make a covenant is with a man named Abraham. God chooses him, promises to bless him, give him a large family, lots of land where they can flourish. And in return, God asks Abraham to trust him and train up his family to do what is right and just. And the whole reason for this covenant is God says that somehow he's going to bring his blessing to all families of the world through this one family. So that's Abraham. The next time we see God make a covenant is when Abraham's family grows into the tribe of Israel. And this covenant is with the whole tribe. God asks them to obey a set of laws, which are these guidelines for living well as a community of God's partners. And if they do this, then God promises to bless them and that they will become a people who then represent him to the rest of humanity. That's the covenant with Israel. The last covenant is with King David. Yeah, the tribe of Israel has become this large nation ruled by David. And God asked David and his descendants to partner with him by leading Israel in obeying the laws and doing what is right and just. And God promises that one day, one of David's sons will come and extend God's kingdom of peace and blessing over all the nations. So those are the four covenants that God makes in order to restore his partnership with the whole world. But here's what happens. Israel breaks the covenant. They worship other gods, they allow horrible injustice, and so they lose their land and are forced off into exile. So it seems hopeless. But during this time, Israel's prophets talked about a day when God would restore these covenants in spite of Israel's failure. 
somehow. Yeah, they called it the new covenant. And this is actually what's so interesting about Jesus is that he's introduced into this story as the one who fulfills all of these covenant relationships. We're told that he's from the family of Abraham, and so he will bring the blessings of that family to the whole world. We're told that he's the faithful Israelite who was able to truly obey the law. And we're told that he's the king from the line of David. And so he goes about extending God's kingdom of justice and peace to all. And that's really remarkable for one guy. Yeah, and what it highlights is perhaps the most surprising claim of all made about this man, that Jesus is no mere human, but rather God become human. And God did this in order to be that faithful covenant partner that we are all made to be, but have failed to be. And so through Jesus, God has opened up a way for anyone to be in a renewed partnership with him. So Jesus calls people to follow him and become part of this new covenant family. And despite their failures, Jesus is committed to making them into partners who are becoming more and more faithful. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a fully renewed world, full of goodness and peace. And there's this renewed humanity there, partnering together with God to expand the goodness of his creation. And so the end of the Bible story is really a new beginning. Good morning. How's everybody today? Good. We're going to talk about that video in just a minute, but first I just, I want to say thank you to Alex and Lizzie. That was incredible. Thank y'all so much. We've heard Alex a lot, but I don't know that I've ever heard Lizzie before. And wow, I am, I am regularly blown away with the people that God has in the church, how talented you guys are. And so thank you for that this morning. That was really special. Um, I'm excited today. Um, about the message that the Lord has for us. I was sharing with some people before, um, before church started this morning. This weekend was a lot like last weekend. It was a disaster. Um, I spent most of the weekend digging in the mud, working on a septic system. So it, <laughs> it's currently working. We'll see if it continues to stay that way. Um, but again, just God, I, I told Bethany Thursday night, I was up really late at the office printing the flyers for the bags we'll talk about later and um and then friday which is typically a night when i start writing and then friday night i spent all night working on the sewer system and i told god look it you know (laughs) this is on you you know you know my schedule and you know that i'm not wasting time um but the lord as always was faithful and i'm excited about um what the lord has for us today so i don't know if you realize it but christmas is in five days so if you're not (laughs) they know (laughs) there's a countdown happening um but you know I I was telling Alex before the service this this year in particular has been super super special for me and and a lot of different reasons a big part of it is the time that that our family has spent it's been so neat watching my children seeing all the little gears turning as they're putting these pieces together and as I was studying our passage today which is going to be Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 4 the first two the first two verses um in that in that chapter 1 um, just really struck a tone with me. And, and it's about God's covenant that he makes with his people. And the, and the author of Hebrews is tying these pieces together. Um, I don't know if you guys remember or not, but I announced or, or just kind of made a comment from the pulpit several months ago that I felt like as we were wrapping up the book of Ecclesiastes that the Lord was pointing us towards the book of Hebrews. Um, and then we began to talk about Christmas. And as you guys know, uh, all the TGP churches are, are doing these same passages. That's why we've got TGP United up there. We're all doing these same passages for Christmas. And Zach sends me the, the passage list that he's put together 
And the last one is Hebrews chapter 1. And so for me, just again, another confirmation. Um, that this is where the Lord's leading us. And so um, I, I watched this video on covenants and I wanted us to watch it together because for us, understanding what it means to live in a covenant is significant, right? It's important for us to understand that because it's the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us. Um, and it's vital for us to remember that a covenant and a contract are not the same thing. We've talked about this before. Our world is based on contracts. Um, we, we, we understand that, that with a covenant, they described it in the, the video today, that when a covenant is made, and I love the way they framed that first covenant, that God required nothing of Noah because he knew that, that people would not be able to live up to the commitment on their side. But that's the beauty of a covenant. When you enter a covenant relationship with, with God or with a person, the way that's framed is that if I fail on my commitment, it doesn't make the covenant null and void. The covenant still exists regardless of, of whether or not we keep our, our commitment. Contracts are not that way though, right? Our world revolves around contracts. That's the way most of our personal and business relationships are founded. We know that, that in a contract that if, if one party fails to fulfill their side of the contract, what happens to the contract? It's null and void, right? It ends. It's over, right? And we see that happen in relationships. You know, boyfriend and girlfriend, one of them doesn't, does something they're not supposed to or doesn't do something they are supposed to. That relationship can get severed. We see that in business all the time. You might have a contract with someone, but if you don't fulfill your side of the contract, as in a job, if you don't do your job, you get let go, right? Because you failed to fulfill your side of the contract. And it's important for us to understand those two differences because here's what happens is often we look at the way we experience the world. In this particular case, we look at how we experience the world through contracts and we transpose that on top of our relationship with God. And do you see the problem with that? It's because it, the problem is that it gives us a false sense of of who God is. And so today as we study this passage, I want us to keep in mind that covenants, um, even though they're a foreign concept for us to the most part, they are one of the most important things about our relationship with God. The biblical narrative is all about God redeeming his people, right? We've been talking about that for a long time. That, that we, and, and the video did the same thing today. It starts in the beginning when, when we as people did not fulfill the covenant, but God loved us anyway. It separated us from God, but God has been working ever since to renew that relationship. And as we're thinking about this study, we're going to start in Hebrews, and we'll do an introduction and all that kind of stuff. Today's not the beginning of that study. Um, we'll come back and readdress this passage at some point. But I think it's important for us to understand as we think about the book of Hebrews, as we think about Christmas, that it's important for us to understand our history, right? I don't know if you've ever spent any time um, looking at your family history. But I know that for, for me and for many others, when you begin to look at your history of your family, all of a sudden the little idiosyncrasies that you find in your family, and every family has them, whether you see them or not, they're there. All those little things that make your family unique, maybe a bit strange, um, all of those have a meaning behind them, right? There, there is a reason that people act the way that they act. And so for us, this, the scripture, we've talked about this before, is our story, right? The biblical story is our story. It's the history of our people as believers in Christ, as followers of God. The biblical story is our story. And for us, so for us to understand the history, 
and we're going to see scripture point to this in a minute, is vital because it informs us about who God is, but also about who we are. I'll give you an example of why this is important. Because you may be thinking, well, what's in the past is in the past. We hear that phrase all the time. But let me give you an example of how knowing your history can inform your right now. So as a young man, um, I started dating this beautiful little redhead. Um, and pretty quickly, I decided that, that I thought she was the one that I should marry. Okay, and I shared this story a couple of weeks ago at Life Group. Uh, I, I, sometimes I share it, sometimes I don't. But anyway, the short of it is I said, God, if this is the one, um, I need you to get me to, to Crowley because my truck's broke down and I need to ask her dad, right? Because that's what we do. That's tradition, correct? That's what we do. Okay, in case you didn't know, that's Southern tradition. Well, the next day I show up at work, which was at Petron, and my boss came and found me. He's like, hey, I'm glad you're here today. I need you to uh, go get a truck and a trailer and I need you to go to Lafayette and pick something up for me. And I went, whoa, God, I wasn't, I mean, I didn't mean tomorrow. Um, okay, so I went to Lafayette, and I called Bethany's dad, and it's like, hey, you want to grab lunch? I'm in town. He's like, yeah. So we went to Wendy's, um, and I didn't say anything because I was nervous. And then we get to the parking lot of uh, the church where he worked, where my truck was parked. <sighs> okay, now's the time. And so I mustered up all the strength that I had, and I asked. And Larry gave me his blessing, but he said something different that I didn't expect. He said, but you got to ask her mom too. Now that's not tradition, right? That was not anything that I've ever heard of. I thought it was a bit odd, but I also knew that Bethany was worth it, right? So I said, okay, fine. Well, I went back home because that wasn't the time. She was at work. Um, and I went back down later and I had dinner with her and my parents had not met her parents. And so I thought this would be great. They can meet. I can ask Sherry. It'll be like, it'll make things easier. And the evening was fine. But the whole time we're having dinner, Bethany's mom kept saying the same thing. I'm going to get my two cents in. I'm going to get my two cents in. And, and all night I'm like, what, what in the world is going on? So finally she gives me some recommendations that she thinks are important um, and, and gave me her blessing. I still didn't understand why that was necessary. Um, and then the night comes and I propose to Bethany. Um, and that's a funny story I'll tell another day. But her first question to me was, did you ask my dad? I said, yes. And I had to ask your mom too. And I don't know why. Well, later, Bethany tells me the rest of the story. And I won't, give you, I won't go into all the details, but due to several difficulties in Bethany's mom's life, at a, at a very early age, she kind of became the, the matriarch of her family. And so it was important for her um, that I ask her as well. It didn't have anything to do with Larry, but it had to do with her history. And after hearing that story and understanding it, all of a sudden it made sense. Yes, of course I would ask her permission. But before I heard that story, before I knew the history, the actions didn't make sense to me. You see where I'm going with this? It's important for us to understand the history of who we are as a people because it informs why we do what we do. It informs us about why God does what God does. And so our first passage today is going to begin with this phrase, long ago. And obviously when you see the words long ago, you know that's pointing to the past, right? But what is God pointing to? And that's why I wanted us to see this video on covenants. Because when the author says long ago, he wants us to understand that he's not talking about something that happened last week. He's pointing all the way back to the beginning. And he's pointing at the whole story of what God has been doing in the lives of his children. So let's read this together. Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. And then we'll break it down a little bit. It said long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. 
The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of His nature, sustaining all things by His powerful word. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So He became superior to the angels, just as the name He inherited is more excellent than theirs. Listen, in these first two verses, the author of Hebrews is pointing out something that is incredibly significant. He's pointing out a transition. Something has happened. So point number one for today is that with the birth of Jesus, a new covenant was being brought to God's people. That's what the end of this video today was talking about. This was something that had been been long foretold. Israel had lived in anticipation of this promise for generations. When we read the Old Testament passages at Christmas time, which we often do, the purpose in that is to kind of bridge that gap between when God made a promise and when God fulfilled the promise. It is a way of us saying, look, God promised many, many, many years ago that a Messiah was coming and now we are celebrating the coming of that Messiah. It is a reminder for us that God is faithful and that he always does what he says he's going to do. God promised that he would make a new covenant with his people. Look with me at Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. The the prophet says, look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It says in this first verse of Hebrews that God told his people through many prophets and in many different ways that he was sending the Messiah. The author wants us to understand that Jesus wasn't an accident, that it wasn't like God all of a sudden had, oh, I got a, a great idea about how to fix the problem. This was part of the plan. God had planned this from the beginning and had been preparing his people for the completion of that plan. That was the purpose behind all of those covenants. Each one was a step closer to the redemption that God wanted with his people. However, as we read scriptures, we, particularly the Old Testament, we see God's people continue to be unfaithful. They continued to live for themselves, and ultimately, we see that the prophet and the prophet Malachi, from that time to the book of Matthew, there's nearly 400 years where God didn't raise up another prophet. And remember that prophets were the way in which God spoke to his people. And so for 400 years, God didn't speak. Raise your hand if you've ever gotten the silent treatment. Go ahead. Come on, guys. Throw that out there. Okay, look. We all know how that feels. But can you imagine being not able to hear from the Lord. That for 400, look, we we can't even conceptualize 400 years, right? You think about like the United States, right? 400 years ago didn't even exist, right? And we think our country is so old and mature. 400 years. Many, many lifetimes. We see in Scripture, let's, let's first before we get there, Let's look at Malachi chapter 3. Look at what God tells his people through the prophet Malachi. This is chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. He said, See, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. Then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant you delight in. See, he is coming, says the Lord of armies. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who will be able to stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire, like a launder's bleach. He will be like a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. Then they will present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. 
and the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord as in the days of old and years gone by. And then picking up in verse 16 of that same chapter, it says, At that time, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. The Lord took notice and listened. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared the Lord and had high regard for his name. They will be mine, says the Lord of armies, my own possession on the day I'm preparing. I will have compassion on them as the man has compassion on his son who serves him. So you will see again the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. Look, this messenger that God's promising is John the Baptist, and often that's where we begin the Christmas story. When, when Zechariah is in the temple as a priest fulfilling his priestly duties. And you remember the story. He's in, 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 the, in the temple alone by himself. He's at the altar of incense. And he notices all of a sudden that an angel of the Lord has appeared. Now the story tells us that it frightened Zechariah. Right? But think about this for a moment. Hey, I've never seen an angel. Right? And I don't think they look like they look like on Hallmark cards. Just saying. Okay? But I want you to think about what it would have been like for Zechariah. A, he's heard of these beings, but he's never seen one. And so there's this flood of emotions that are coming on. Because remember, 400 years have passed. And God has not spoken through angels or through prophets that we know of. It's not written in the book. And so Zechariah is in the temple and an angel appears. Gabriel appears before him and says, hey, you're going to have a son. And he's like, no, not us. I'm old and my wife's older than I am. Right? We've talked about that before. I don't know how he's still alive. Or... I don't know how he survived it. He must not have told his wife that she was an old lady. That's all I'm saying. Here's the point. Is God begins to do something. All of a sudden, the Lord who had been silent begins to speak. And I can only imagine, I've been thinking through that this weekend, of what it must have felt like for Zachariah. The fear that would have shown up, but also the incredible excitement because this thing that we've been talking about for generation after generation has has begun to happen but if you remember Zechariah didn't believe at first and so God made it where he couldn't speak so now he's got all this happening inside of him and he can't tell anybody and then Gabriel appears again but this time to Joseph and Mary and he tells them but again because of their situation not a lot of people know about it and then Something incredible happens. We were, my, my family and I were reading this passage this week in one of our family devotions uh, with the Christmas ornaments. And as the kids were reading it, just a light bulb came on for me. This is Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. I want you to look at this with me real quick. And I want you to see something that I've never noticed before. That for me was kind of earth-shaking. It says, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. And then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped tightly in cloth and laying in a manger. Listen, what's incredible about me is that God reveals something about himself in the way that he chooses to announce Jesus' birth. Point number two I want to make today is that God revealed his heart for all men and women by announcing Jesus' birth to shepherds. Out of all the people that God could announce this incredible news to, he chose 
the lowly. He chose the common person. Shepherds were not what anyone would have considered important. They were general laborers working the night shift, sleeping with the sheep. Sheep stink. I don't know if you know that, okay? This is going to make sense in a minute. Hang with me. God could have had these angels announce this news to the religious leaders, to the political leaders, to anyone of importance, anybody he wanted to. But he chose the shepherds. God's revealing something about himself. As we study Jesus' life, we see too that he cared greatly. Where did he go? He went to the people who needed him the most. He went to the poor. He went to those that were neglected, turned away from from, uh, from everyone by society. That's where he chose to spend his time. God is revealing that he loves everyone regardless of status, power, or wealth. And look, y'all, that's not normal. That's not how we operate as a world. Think about the wise men. When they came looking for Jesus, where did they go first? They went to Herod. Why? Because he was the king, right? And we know that the Romans were in charge, but he was in leadership over the nation of Israel under their leadership. They went to Herod because they thought if anybody knows about a baby king being born, it would be the guy in charge, right? But he didn't know. You know why he didn't know? Because God didn't reveal it to him. God revealed it to the shepherds. He revealed it to a young man and a young woman who were not yet married, but who loved God. He revealed it to an old man and an old woman who also loved God. God does not operate the way that the world operates. Our world is not grounded in wisdom, in justice, or peace. In fact, it's grounded in the exact opposite of that. And we know that. And because we know that, we shouldn't expect God to work the way that the world works. The world tends to think this way because this is how we we operate. Think of all the steps that you go through. Rachel shared testimony a couple of weeks ago about interviewing for a job. Think about all the things, all the hoops you jump through in preparation for a job interview, right? You got to get the resume looking just right. You got to pick out the right outfit, you know, all the stuff. Same thing's true for a first date. Think about a first date. Think about all the stuff, ladies. Guys don't do nothing. We all know, okay? But ladies, think about all the stuff you go through for a first date. And what happens if you don't go through all those steps? You probably ain't getting the second date. Guys, if you don't shower before the date, you ain't getting the second one. If you didn't know that, write it down. It's true. That's how we operate. That's how we think, right? Our decisions are based on all of these things. And it's no wonder that we often apply that same logic to how we approach God. But if we look at this story of how God chose to reveal Himself to His people, it's not the same way that we approach it, is it? God went to the stinky guys working the night shift and said, hey guys, i got great news for the whole world and I'm telling you about it. Under the covenants prior to the new covenant that we're talking about, people were responsible for cleansing themselves, for making sacrifices for the atonement of their sins. They were doing that in order to make themselves right with God. It was up to man to become clean and to make the sacrifice. And Jesus came because from the time of Adam until the death of Christ, men proved over and over and over that they were not capable of doing that. If you read Malachi, if you read most of the Old Testament, you're going to see that Israel over and over again disobeys, takes advantage of, and runs from God. 
God begins revealing his heart for all men through his announcement and through the life of Jesus. Look with me at, at verse 3 in Hebrews chapter 1. It says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Listen, people didn't know or understand God, and that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to show people that he values all of us the same regardless of how the world would value us. Jesus wants us to understand and feel the love that God has for all of his children. That our wealth, our status, our prestige, none of those things matter to God. In order for God's people to enter into this new covenant, they need to know God. And that was why Jesus came. It's so that we could have, as it says in verse 3, the exact expression of his nature. Jesus is revealing who God is to his people. Jesus came the way he did, announced it to common men, and lived here on earth with his creation so that we could know the truth about who he is. And the truth is that God loves all of us right where we are. The life and death of Jesus are proof of that love. After living here, dying in our place, Jesus returns to his throne at the right hand of God. And the author is making the case for the reader, showing them, that the, na- showing them the nature of God in Jesus. He wants the readers to understand that Jesus is not just another prophet. And he's not an angel. Jesus is part of the triune God. He is God himself. So the last point for today is that Jesus, the Son of God, came to establish the new covenant with his creation. This final idea at the end of this, of this section of Scripture is that Jesus is superior to the angels. And that is there to kind of finalize, to put a stamp on this argument and say, look, Jesus wasn't a prophet and he's not an angel. He is the Son of God. Jesus is greater than all the prophets and all the angels because he is God. He's the one who created those things. And in order for us to have that new covenant established, God came. Every previous covenant that God made with us was broken by us. But because God loves us, he continues to work in the restoration of our relationship. God loves us, and this is what we're celebrating at Christmas, is that Jesus came. Jesus' birth is the beginning of that work. And as we celebrate Christmas year after year, it is a reminder to us of what God's done. We look at these images of a baby, and we say, man, God humbled himself. To come as a child. Most of us in this room have held a newborn. And we know how precious and fragile that life is. And Jesus came to come to humble himself. To be weak. To be dependent upon a man and a woman. To raise him. Because he loves us. Today as we finish out this series on the incomparable Christ. We're going to follow the instructions that Jesus gives us. And we're going we're gonna to take the Lord's Supper today. That's what the little cups are about in case you were confused what that is. Okay, We do this as a reminder of what Jesus has done. And Jesus tells us to do this often so that we can remember. We do this so that the world can know the truth about who Jesus is. Jesus is the new covenant. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 26, Paul says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord, took, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, uh, also he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So grab your cup. This is a reminder for us. I've never seen it look up like that. You can go ahead and look at it if it's distracting to you. This is a brilliant idea that someone had. They should get a raise. Jesus gave his life for each of us so that we could be forgiven of our sins. He came to fulfill the side of the covenant that we could never do, that we proved over and over and over again that we were incapable of. By the way, if you didn't get one, Michelle can bring it to you. Just raise your hand. This morning, I want us to receive the cup and the bread. I want us to partake this together. So let's pray. We're going to do just like Jesus did. We're going to give thanks. And then we're going to share the Lord's Supper together. Okay, so let's pray real quick. Jesus, I am blown away by how incredibly selfless you are. God, as I have meditated on and thought about what it means for you to come and to be here with us, I'm often brought to a point where the emotion just wells up in me and I I don't know what to do with it. God, I'm so thankful that not only did you come for us, that you are here with us and that we get to share this with people that we know and people that we love. God, thank you so much. And as we, this morning, as we take this bread and this juice, help us to remember, help it to, to be concreted in our hearts, Father the depth of the love that you have for us, your children. God, let that be our motivation to to live with you and for you, to share this story, that it wouldn't just be for us, Father, that that emotion that wells up inside of us would be a motivator to share this incredible love with the people that are in our lives. Jesus, we thank you and we love you. Amen. So start with the bottom. Here's what I want you to do. Just peel that off. And take out your little cracker. So Jesus on that night, I love thinking through this story. Right? We all have the picture of the Lord's Supper. I don't remember who painted that, but y'all know what I'm talking about. They didn't all sit on one side of the table. Just saying. That's not how people eat. Nobody does that. I see these men who love the Lord dearly gather around a table to celebrate the Passover. Right? Because Jesus is about to be the Lamb. And they're eating a meal together, something that we all love to do. And Jesus takes the the loaf, it was unleavened, it was a piece of pita bread or something, and he tears it. And he says something that's strange to them, something that they don't quite understand yet. He says, this is my body, it's broken for you. He says, take this and eat it. And so today, we're going to take this little cracker, this little piece of unleavened bread. This is the body of Christ, sacrificed on your behalf. Let's eat and remember the perfect gift that's been given. So let's eat the cracker. Then very carefully peel the top off. And it says after the meal was done, he took the cup. And he says, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood that's going to be shed for you. And I wonder what the disciples were thinking. Because that's an odd thing to say, right? Because you can't look at that and not think of blood now. And so Jesus, here in this intimate moment with men that he loved dearly, I want you to just for a moment, just close your eyes and put yourself at that table. Because you're there. He did this for you. 
took the cup of the new covenant and he said, drink this in remembrance of the blood that was shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. This week, as we celebrate the birth of Christ, as you celebrate this with your family, remember what we're celebrating. Remember that Jesus was born, but He was born for a very specific reason. We're not celebrating a miraculous birth. We're celebrating the fulfillment of a promise. We're celebrating the beginning of a work that God said from the beginning when Adam and Eve chose to disobey and to rebel from God. God said, I'm going to fix this. And for generation after generation after generation, parents passed down these stories to their children and said, one day the Messiah is coming. One day. And church, we get an opportunity to look at one another, to look at our family, to look at our friends, to look at the children in our lives and say, Jesus is here. He's here. And today we're celebrating the fact that God did what he said he was going to do. Let's pray together. God, I ask that you would give us opportunities this Christmas season to to know you, to experience you in ways that we haven't before. God, I ask that you would give us opportunities to to feel your presence and to to be able to share that with the people that are in our lives. God, that as we gather, that it wouldn't just be about the food and it wouldn't just be about the gifts. But God, that you and your spirit would draw us to yourself. And as we sit at that table with our family, with friends, that our thoughts are on you. The conversation could center around what you've done for your people. How much you love us. God, make that our focus this Christmas season. To know, to understand, to think about, to meditate on what it means to be loved by God. Father, again, we thank you so much for what you've given. Jesus, we pray. Amen.